let's go ahead and, and kick things off. My name is Ryan Hamilton. I'm a value consultant uh, with SAP Concur. I would love to have my co-host introduce himself as well, Oren. Hi, my name is Oren Gashuri. I am with Deloitte. Excellent. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do with Deloitte? Yeah, I am a uh, what's known as a specialist master, but essentially I am a consultant in the spend management P2P T&E uh, spaces, uh, helping clients transform their environments to uh, modernize their processes around travel and expense management and uh, around procure to pay processes. Excellent. Like I mentioned, I'm a value consultant here at SAP Concur. Our team works with both prospective clients and existing clients to really quantify opportunities for creating value, whether that's through improving spend governance, uh, improving compliance, or optimizing spend programs around uh, you know, vendor controls and other discretionary spend controls. So looking forward to pooling our expertise here today as we talk about AP automation, particularly through the lens of the employee experience and through the lens of organizational spend governance. A lot, a lot of juicy stuff to talk about there. Yeah, absolutely. I guess as a, as a jumping off point here, you know, we use those two lenses a lot here at SAP Concur, but Oren, having just heard me say those, what does that mean to you, particularly as it relates to AP automation? So let's start with employee experience. When you hear that, what comes to mind? So the, the first thing that people forget about in an AP process is that there are people that are core to it. I mean, AP is generally speaking, one of the least, and I say this with, with uh, you know, a little bit of tongue in cheek, but one of the least strategic areas traditionally in an organization, it's people who are taking uh, what is generally or has generally been a paper process and they're, they're paying checks, they're cutting, cutting the checks uh, or, or, you know, if you're lucky, the wire transfers of the ACHs. And that is a, a process that has been basically the same for decades and decades, if not, you know, centuries. Uh, and in the past 20 years, this whole new world of uh, AP automation has re revived that area and is given a lot of uh, ability to, to automate those processes, to get that sort of paper out of the desk uh, and, and allow that what was originally an AP manager or an AP clerk, maybe give them a little bit more opportunity to spread their wings and become a little bit more strategic in their roles. So we're taking these people who were traditionally a very focused, uh, routine-based person and empowering them to become more intelligent about the way they're doing business. So is it fair to summarize your view of employee experience as really maximizing or at least optimizing the ability for someone in an AP role to contribute beyond just the tactical day-to-day -day process execution. That's exactly right. The, the, the tactical aspect of paying a, a bill is what sort of drags the, the, the process down, right? So uh, we have these people who, you know, they come into work and they start with a big pile of paper and maybe that pile of paper reduces during the day, but then more paper is added to that pile. Now that might be digital paper where it's PDFs and, and some types of uh, imaging uh, that's going through an inbox rather than through a physical inbox, but that has been the approach. And those people are not given generally the ability to discriminate, to, to add value to those transactions. 
you know, do we uh, pay certain things strategically so we can get the best benefit of you know, dynamic discounting, or you know, maybe we can get a discount by paying it into this certain window. You know, a lot of times it's basically a reactionary type of endeavor where they're just processing things uh, in the order that they're given because people are screaming the loudest. Remember, these people are also the people who end up picking up a phone and speaking to a vendor who have the 1-800 number for AP, whether, you know, wherever it is, shared service or, you know, some group of people, uh, you know, in, in an office, and they end up getting yelled at by vendors just because they are not getting paid yet. So they, they have become, you know, the, the, the two things that they're doing all the time is processing paper and doing therapy over the phone for the people who are calling them. You know what I mean? So these things are not, incredibly value-add tasks. And it shows on how those employees go about their day-to-day. So I want to come back to that in a second, but I, I also think you've made a great point that transitions into the second lens that we want to look at this through, which is spend governance. The second that that vendor calls our AP person and, and is apparently yelling at them, uh, that's where we sort of transition from the ability for an individual to contribute value to the entire organization's ability to generate value because obviously the supply chain and uh, the continuity of that supply chain is, is key to value generation. So when we talk about spend governance, it seems like it's fair to say that very quickly we transition into overall how an organization manages its money and ensures that that value chain stays cycling. So can you talk a little bit about how you see spend governance around AP automation or AP in general? So, you know, the more insight that an organization has to the inner workings, the tactical workings of any P2P process, uh, AP automation process, they have better information so they can better assess their cash positions, how they're managing their credit relationships with their with their creditors, uh, how they're managing the relationships with their suppliers. Uh, you know, the the bottom line is when you take this behemoth of manual process and you strip it down to its core parts and then you automate it now and let, let's just make the point that the last thing you want to do is to automate poor processes you want to re-engineer or optimize the process before you automate it that's key but once you've optimized that process and then automated it then you now have metrical data that can help you uh, target the areas that you as an organization need to focus on. Are we cash rich? Uh, are we having a, a problem with our credit ratings? You know, how do our suppliers treat us? You know, or how do we treat our suppliers more likely? So the the ability to kind of zoom in on specific steps is super important. And you can't do that until you're able to measure them, right? You can't measure one person moving a, a, an invoice from the to pay pile over to the paid pile. It, it, it's not as easy. That's absolutely fair. So you had mentioned earlier when we were talking about the employee experience that it was really one individual's ability to add value to that, that transactional step of processing an invoice. Is it fair to say then in your experience, you've seen as organizations become more automated that it's the individuals who are taking over the creation of the metrics you were just talking about and the process changes to, to then optimize those metrics? So the individuals have to obviously be contributors to the over, for any success in, in this area. It, it comes down to let's strip the process down, like I said earlier, to the component parts. 
and how the individual helps uh, enable the optimization of that process. Then as processes merge, you have, you can do centers of excellence or shared service centers where, uh, you know, people, instead of having one person focus on every end-to-end task, you can have people uh, specialize or you can even go the other way. If people are already too specialized and you want them to generalize, you can create people who know soup to nuts, the entire end-to-end process and can be experts on every aspect of that, right? So you've taken what was, the mind-numbing solo sort of performance of payments, and you've made it now a team collaborative effort on how do we best create sort of means or, or ways to, to give the best possible value for that type of process. And that value chain goes all the way up to you know the finance folks who are looking down and seeing, okay, well, here are all my areas for improvement, and now I can put some measurements to that. So it's one of those things where it takes a village, right? You, you have multiple people who are helping consolidate the process, multiple people who are becoming that center of excellence, but you know those individuals are still the ones driving the train. Absolutely. So we have started the conversation by talking a lot about what is theoretically possible and, and what we've seen across a, a wide array of organizations that we've both worked with. I'd love to talk a little bit more about sort of specifically what happens to the employee experience and to spend governance as someone moves through automation and and why that's valuable. And to address the elephant in the room, I think COVID and the related impact to business operations has provided a great foil for understanding what that impact is. Uh, You know, we really transitioned from what value could I potentially derive by investing in what might be considered a, a cutting edge change to my process by automating we've really transitioned from that mindset during the COVID crisis to what am I going to lose out on or what can't I do if I don't have a best in class or at least a a cutting edge automated product? So I I guess a good starting point would be, do you think that's a a fair statement? What what do you see as, uh, you know, the day-to-day impact of COVID on a non-automated process versus an automated process? Well, COVID was the litmus test for the survivability of an organization, which isn't to say that, you know, organizations that had a lot of troubles aren't going to survive. It's just how well-equipped were they? There were basically two broad categories of organization. You had the organization who already walked down the path of automation. They already had digital workflows and, you know, they they had, uh, you know, more cloud type services. Those guys could pretty much just the next day, start up working from home. As long as they dealt with any VPN or, or working from home issues, or maybe the fact that they, you know, a lot of those places didn't issue laptops, that's a big problem right there. But nonetheless, those people pretty much just walked right into a sustainable type of process. The people that I kind of felt bad for were the people who either had not even looked at AP automation or maybe had it on their map downstream and hadn't yet gotten to it. These are the people who they still come to work or prior to COVID came to work to a big pile of paper on their desk. You can't take all that paper home. I mean, obviously you're not going to have, you know, all the different AP clerks or AP tactical folks getting big batches of paper invoices to their houses. You had to come up with a process really quick to figure that out. So uh, to figure out how to distribute the work without 
sending, you know, Iron Mountain boxes to, to, you know, people's houses every day. Well, those people had to adapt quickly by figuring out a quick way to digitize, digitize at least the image, you know, so image capture became a huge uh, sort of boon for those people who had to switch to a, a, a work from home uh, situation. The, the thing about COVID is for, for those people who always thought, ah, we can deal with automation downstream. Well, downstream is here. This is, if you have not used COVID as the sort of the spark to move towards a more digitized infrastructure, then you will probably not be around for the next, you know, in another few years. Uh, this was uh, the great leap of evolution. You know, there, there's some, you know, let's go back to our Darwin, you know, there's obviously cycles or slow cycles of evolution, but every once in a while, there's a, a triggering event that causes a great leap, right? The, the, the fish suddenly start, starts walking on land, that kind of thing. Well, we're at that crux right now where COVID is that spark. It's the meteor that's extincting the dinosaurs. That's what it, that's what's going on here. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was I was reading a study the other day that said uh, it was a survey of, of AP professionals during COVID, and about 28% rated that COVID had a extreme or high impact on their AP process. And what I found interesting was that in a follow up survey, it was about 28% of people who also said their top challenge in their process was too much paper. So there's a one-to-one -one correlation between organizations that had at least taken first steps to get rid of paper uh, and organizations who felt a medium impact or a low impact, you know, that remaining 72% that were less affected. So I, I, thought it was, I thought it was interesting that there was such a direct correlation between the degree of impact and the amount of automation. And let me throw a little shade on the suppliers too right now. A lot of suppliers still want a paper check. What kind of nonsense is that? You know, if you go to Europe, they laugh at our checks. You, you know, you have to have, you know, more of an ACH or, or digital payment type of infrastructure. There's so many great digital methods of payment nowadays. You know, your, your Zells, your ACHs, you know, even wire transfers if you want to go old school, but the Cash App, you know, Venmo, whatever you're using, there's pretty much no excuse anymore uh, to continue getting a check. And so some of that is people who run an AP uh, organization who haven't cleaned up their vendor master in some time and still have, you know, antiquated check remittance uh, address details instead of adding an email address into the vendor master, adding an ACH uh, type of uh, process. So th there's both sides of that coin that, that make paper still necessary for the organizations who don't want to move forward to the last decade, <laughs> not even the modern decade, but to last decade. And I think that's an important uh, transitionary point, right? We had one group of organizations uh, that were so preoccupied with ensuring the continuity of their process. They're the ones who, you know, if every organization is faced with the same general impact from this crisis, their cash is going to have to be stretched more, they're going to run into supply chain issues. You had one set of organizations where the AP people could come in and all they had on their plate was ensuring continuity, figuring out how to get those Iron Mountain boxes distributed to approvers who were no longer in the office, making sure that that process still ran on the one hand. On the other hand, you had the group of people who had already looked at automation. 
So when I hear you talk about, you know, checks, a technology that was invented in the 1720s, for all I know, still being employed in a lot of organizations versus more secure methods, faster methods, methods that offer better cash flow control like ACH, direct transfer, virtual cards. That just reminds me of the second group of organizations where faced with the same set of crises, but having already addressed the continuity of their process, that same group of people then had the time on their hands to go start attacking other opportunities like that. Okay, if cash flow is our problem, how do we make better payment strategies uh, under the same terms, right? A virtual card probably offers two to three more days of having your own cash in your own account. Yeah, float. ACH also offers a little float. So without even going to your vendors and changing your terms, optimizing payments can improve your, your cash position, right? Right. You could also then go out to your vendors, start to address payments. If all of your customers are paying you late, it seems reasonable that you should be able to go to your vendors and pay them late uh, as their customers. So you had one group of AP people who were so absorbed in continuity that they had no opportunity to take these other initiatives. Then you had this other group of AP people who had already addressed continuity and were able to focus on some of the things that you had had just mentioned. So outside of, of payment optimization, where do you see AP automation uh, supporting more strategic crisis management? Well, so there's always somebody from AP, an AP manager or a director or whatever, who is part of that sort of crisis response uh, committee that's at any corporation. And because mostly so they can say, I have a list of emergency POs that I can, or emergency payments that I can issue at a moment's notice, or, you know, procurements in there, uh, having that same conversation. But uh, all they're there, again, it's to be reactionary, to, to say an emergency has happened, we need to get payments out the door so we can get PPE or whatever, whatever the need is, right? Well, let's unleash the, the P2P and the AP folks to say, you know, we have an emergency, cash is going to be tight, we need some of these things. So let's see which of our vendors, let's run some metrics. Let's figure out who, which of our vendors are going to give us dynamic discounting terms so we can shave a few cents off of the payment so we can use that cash for other purposes, right? So you can have a strategic conversation about where you're spending money without withholding money. You know what I'm saying? You know, dynamic discounting is kind of one of the, the untapped areas that a lot of people are getting into where, you know, everybody is familiar with, you know, 2% net 10, right? If I pay it in 10 days, then I get 2% back. But then what, what about 3% net nine and 4% net eight and blah, blah, blah. You know, you need a, a, a means to be able to capture as much as you can and have a vendor or a supplier that will support that kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, that's hard to do when you're still bogged down by the, the, the pushing of paper. Right, uh, you you need to be able to free yourself uh, from from those sort of tactical things to be able to focus on that strategic piece. I just want to add one thing. I don't know if you guys read the news. It was just in the I read it in the news last week. So you know Japan, which has for you know centuries uh, in corporate Japan, you have the managers who have to physically stamp their seal on. Uh, on a payment before it can go out the door. And in COVID times, there is some new legislation being introduced that is rocking the world of corporate uh, management because they want to digitize that. They want to make take that complete um, sort of ceremonial right out of 
uh, sort of corporate Japan so they can actually make things more speedy and more digitized. I think if, if that isn't an indication that COVID is a game changer, I, I don't know what is. It was interesting. I was talking to, to someone who was, uh, you know, a frontline AP clerk. And, and one of the things they mentioned that you just made me think of was, you know, they're sitting there at the beginning of, of the COVID situation, reading about how COVID can exist on mail for, for up to, I don't know what it was, four days. I'm not a scientist. I, I don't know if, if that has changed. I don't know if the science has, has come somewhere. But I remember that clerk describing to me, you know, automation, business continuity, uh, you know, improvement of our processes aside, I'm actually worried about my health having to handle each of these individual invoices. And that's employee experience from the other side, right? What do they see as the value of your organization? I was going to say, I'm fairly certain there have been zero cases of COVID communication through an email or a PDF. I certainly hope so. Um, but the point I wanted to make was that, you know, that's, that's one example of what's crossing the mind of an individual contributor. Uh, but I think it, it relates back to a, a greater point when you think about employee experience, which is, as we have a contracting workforce, what are you doing to attract the best talent, right? If you're an organization thinking about things like, how do we take advantage of modern best-in-class payment solutions? How do we do, or at least track, dynamic discounting? How do we do some of these cutting-edge investments, or ideological investments at least? You need people who are able to execute on that for you. So in your experience, how have you seen automation or at least improvement to an AP process relate to the ability to attract and retain talent? So it, it actually begins uh, at the top of the person, uh, at the top of that tower, because you need to have somebody who even wants the change before anything can happen. So I believe that if you have a dynamic leader who is there willing to embrace uh, new technologies and move along the path to automation, the talent will come, right? So I think the first goal is to get a, somebody in position who will drive that ship to success. Then in terms of attracting the talent, you know, there are a lot of ways to, to communicate the sort of desire to use the technology for good instead of evil. There's ways to ask the, the group of people, the candidates, the, the, the potential, uh, you know, uh, heroes, ask them to engage, ask them to participate in, in the strategic mindset rather than come in with the, I shall say, old school AP approach of how do I tactically move this paper from point A to point B, right? It is a mindset that is required that is uh, going to make this a success. You got to change, you got to shake the cobwebs off of the old process, off of the old, uh, you know, dusty AP way of thinking and, and, you know, embrace the new. Do you think it's fair to say it's an AP way of thinking versus what AP has had time to do, right? If you go back 50 years before automation was on the table, it didn't matter what ideas you had in your head if, if you had to spend 60 hours a week making sure your, your business was simply able to continue its value cycle, right? Exactly. The conventional wisdom is that particular wisdom because that was the convention, right? It The, the people in AP were going into it with this is the job of an AP person. It is a, a tactical career path and left traditionally left little time for strategic thinking, but that is changing. That has changed. And it is our goal here to, you know, 
completely eschew the old way of thinking and embrace the technological approach that frees everyone up to pursue the strategic path. You used the analogy earlier of of the great leap forward, right? Right. I always I was like to saying necessity is the mother of invention, right? Yeah, so right. the crisis that we've all gone through, you know, everyone is is I'm sure tired of of talking about COVID this and COVID that, but the reality from an AP perspective is that nothing you or we have talked about is limited in its value to just being a a crisis response, right? Improving your payment methods, improving your payment terms, improving your AP team's ability to inform strategic decisions and metrics across a wide array of business. None of that is only useful during COVID, right? All of that is useful in perpetuity. So as we talked about those two groups of organizations, the one group where they spent the brunt of COVID simply trying to figure out continuity, and the other that responded to that same set of crises, but already had continuity in place, which was able to spend their time on improving all of these metrics. When you emerge from this crisis, that delineation still exists, right? You have one organization that's, or one set of organizations that's now better off from a continuity perspective. You have this other group that's gone in and permanently changed the way they operate for all of these other metrics, right? So that improvement isn't just limited to the scope of of COVID, right? Now you have these organizations that are permanently in a better place. So I I guess the question would be, do do you see that in practice now? Do you see that that those advantages are, are going to be permanent? And then as a follow-up to that, in your experience, what, what can you personally, in, in the work that you do, how do you help organizations sort of get into group B and stay into group B? You know, I, I just happen to think that even once we all get herd immunity and the vaccines are, are distributed in whatever format that happens, COVID is kind of here to stay, right? Our lives, our, our entire sort of existences have kind of been irrevocably changed, but I think ultimately for the better, right? This is one of those, again, periods where uh, it's a it's a paradigm shift in societal and corporate norms that uh, are only going to make the people come out uh, better for it. You know, that they've had to adapt, but that push kind of has set people up for hopefully future success. Now, there are going to be a few people who, a few organizations who once COVID is kind of kind of gone or at least a, a sunsetted for the time being, they're going to say, okay, who we can get back to normal. Well, for, to those people, I say, you know, really rethink that that line of thinking because things will never be the, the, the same normal you had before. This is the, the, the perfect opportunity for you to change. And I'm seeing that uh, with a lot of my clients, uh, you know, uh, the, the people that I work with, the biggest shock of COVID wasn't can I check my email or, or look at a PDF at home? It was, I am now stuck at home and I have to take care of my kids. Luckily, I don't have any, but, uh, you know, my pets are yapping in the background and, you know, the gardener is outside and I no longer have the community uh, around the water cooler with the people I work with, et cetera, et cetera. It was that personality or, or the social contact change that was the most uh, egregious for them. The work changes, the technology changes, Everyone realizes this is the better way to work. Uh, the work from home world, you know, aside from all of the distractions, shows us that we have the technology and we can succeed, right? How many companies before COVID never wanted to let people work from home? There were organizations that simply did not allow it. Well, sorry, the train left the station. It's over. You can't do that anymore. And, and people are adapting to that. 
it is the perfect opportunity. And this past year, uh, 2021, we'll see, but 2020 was uh, the perfect time for companies to gut whatever process they had, build some new, exciting, streamlined processes, and get the technology in there to support them. That's what 2020 was about. So I, I want to play devil's advocate here to, to really elucidate the point. But if I'm one of those organizations that's thinking, few, once this crisis is over, I get my vaccine, I can go back to normal. What I'm probably also thinking is, you know, automation is a costly tool. It's something we had to do to enable our employees to work from home. Uh, but, you know, improving that quote unquote employee experience or uh, I guess the employee happiness during this crisis was a temporary cost that, that we don't want to bear anymore. Now, obviously, you and I uh, doing the work that we do, neither of us would agree with that perspective. But I would love to hear from you sort of a direct challenge and, and where in a short summary, where you would find the value to say, no, this is something that's permanently putting your business ahead. It was not a uh, temporary thing you had to do to make do. Yeah, it, it, it's something that happened even before COVID. When, when we would come in to do transformation, finance transformation with an organization, uh, a lot of times I would sit with the, the, the key leadership, whether it's the CFO, the COO, whoever it is, and in that first introductory meeting, I'm sitting at, around this boardroom table and he looks across at me and says, so how are you gonna save me money? And, and I always challenge them right at the table and say, uh, all due respect, that is the wrong question to ask. The better question is, how can we obtain or how can you deliver the best overall value? And that is throughout all work streams, throughout all technologies, targeting uh, the sort of the fat, streamlining, and allowing people to be more strategic about their jobs. It is about people moving away from tactical things, allowing the technology RPA, uh, machine learning, uh, artificial intelligence, all, all the buzzwords you've heard, you know, and I'll throw in blockchain just for the heck of it, why not? Uh, all the buzzwords that you've heard for the past several years, you know, applying them, using them, letting it free your people to do their best jobs. That's what delivering value is about. It is taking the, the chaff from the wheat. It is trimming the fat from that Kobe steak. It is uh, giving people an opportunity to shine in the position that you have empowered them with, right? Any, this is my opinion now, any good leader wants everyone in their organization to also be good leaders, right? And you can't do that if you're mired in tactical day-to-day -day junk. So free them from the junk. I could not agree more strongly Although I have to say, if you're trimming the fat from the Kobe steak, you are definitely doing something wrong. Well, that's true. That's true. I should have said the T-bone or something like that. But yeah, a nice marble <laughs> Kobe. Yes, you're right. Fair enough. So, you know, that's that's really every question that I had had wanted to ask you. In summary, you know, I think we talked about this through through two or three different lenses. There was a, a crisis and it would be silly to ignore that elephant in the room. But I think really what we landed on was that as you look at this crisis, it gave an organization, it feels wrong to say the opportunity, it forced organizations to act on a set of value levers that was already there. When we talk about moving beyond tactical into strategic work, it really, the, the crisis presented to an organization meant they had to go find more room to hold on to their money. It meant they had to go optimize payments, had to go improve terms, improve discount attainments, all while trying to navigate continuity. 
so the individual resource contribution uh, was sort of offset with, with the need overall to, to make money go further and, and to govern how that money was being spent. But all of these hurdles that were presented were not unique to a crisis. They were simply more forceful during a crisis. Would you say that's a, a fair summary? Absolutely. Uh, do, you, do you remember a few years ago, uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago, there was a business book called Who Moved My Cheese? You remember that? Well, COVID was like the smelliest Roquefort that was forced on everybody or Limburger, right? And, and here we are. Now we're all cheese lovers. We can all move forward with better, uh, better lives for us in our corporate worlds. Well, I, I can't. Uh, I can't think of a better way to end the conversation by uh, than by agreeing with you that that we're all Rofer lovers now. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with the caraway seeds. <laughs> Excellent. Well, hey, thank you for your time, Warren. All right, Ryan, I appreciate the conversation. <laughs>